And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. I have to tell you, before we start anything, how exciting this is, because I've played with the toys that you have crafted. Cool. Yeah. Well, being, I like to hear that, you know. <laughs> that's that's why we made them. Yeah, I mean, being, I'm only 31, so, like, I came up in some of the, like, the huge toy lines that you started creating, and so. Well, I've been doing it for 35 years. So that's a lot of toys. Yeah, which is incredible. So this is Toys on Tap. It's a podcast that's generally for bootleg artists and toy artists. And I figured why not reach out to you and get one of the beginning artists that like funded or created things of my generation and and further back. And so I'm glad I'm welcome to Toys on Tap. No, thank you very much. I, I'm enjoying being here. The uh, <laughs> I'm surprised to hear about bootlegs being so popular yeah it is a weird being in the scene i still am shocked about how popular they're getting so yeah i used to have a big collection of uh bootleg uh turtles oh i just started looking at them on ebay because i saw a video about them they're crazy looking sometimes yeah some of them are really funny looking that's why i had them I gave them uh, all away, of course. <clears throat> so to begin, do you want to introduce yourself? Like you need an introduction. I mean, come on. Let, let's introduce yourself and uh, tell everyone what you do. Well, I'm Scott Henze. I've been sculpting for toys for many years. I'm still doing that, by the way. I haven't retired. So yeah. anybody wants to commission a, a figure, I'm your man. Oh, yeah. I hope they come pouring in. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> so can we start at the beginning of why or how you got into sculpting and if you, and when you got into that art, why toys? Let's start from the beginning part. I got into the art department for two reasons. One, I didn't want to have an actual job. And, uh, you know, and two, back in school, all the girls won the art, the art, uh, classes so there I was um after high school I got a job at a place near my home and made garden statuary okay and um I sculpted for them piecework for two or three years and then at some point somebody told me that they heard about a toy company that was hiring sculptors uh Tomy toys have you ever heard of Tomy no what are some of the things that they have done well, Tommy was a 
and still is a Japanese toy company. And they had, they were starting a North American uh, division. So that was the, and this is down in Los Angeles. So I started working there. Um, they did uh, Tron. Oh, okay. And uh, Snorks and the Get Along Gang. And they did a lot of boys toys and a lot of uh, toddler toys. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of that for a while. Um, <clears throat> I'd been a freelancer for my whole life up until that point. So I was willing to work really hard and stay uh, a long time in the uh, in the office there. And I would end up finishing my toy assignment by like Wednesday or Thursday. So then I would have like nothing to do. Yeah. Um, everybody else who worked there were, you know, lifelong employees and they work at, let's say, a different pace. Mm-hmm. So the, the boss called me and he didn't tell me to slow down. He told me to fit in. <laughs> so I tried to fit in. I didn't like, you know, I didn't want to finish my work until the designers were ready to give me another job. So they put me in the in the blue sky division, which is you're thinking up toys. Mm-hmm. What if there was a toy that did this? Or what if there was a toy that did that? So that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, is that a big change from going to um, where people are just pouring in ideas and then you start to become the designer and the sculptor? What's that change look like? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I've been a freelancer and a freelancer will take any job you offer them. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. that much of a change, but it was, uh, I don't know, I, I saw it as a step up mm-hmm. from sculpting all day. Um, and it was an R&D that there were 30 people in that R&D. There were the designers and illustrators and electricians and sound designers and girls toys and boys. There was lots of different stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, <clears throat> it was a very powerful R&D, a lot of very, uh, a lot of very uh, talented people. So I got to know real quickly a number of, of people that had been in the industry for a long time. Then Coleco bought Tomy North America with their cabbage patch doll money mm-hmm. and, um, and disbanded the R&D because they oh, were going to move gosh. it all back east, I think. So most everybody went off to work for other toy companies. Um, this was in LA, so a lot of people went to Mattel being right next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people went back east to work for Hasbro, and I interviewed at Hasbro and Kenner, and that was interesting. And I didn't, I didn't mind the toy companies. I just didn't want to move out of California, so I decided to go freelance. Mm-hmm. Right at that moment, um, some of the people from my R and D, some of my friends, had gone to Playmates Toys, and they were a Chinese company or a Chinese-owned company. And I got a call that they said, we're doing a, uh, a toddler line called the Huff and Puffs. They were like uh, accordion bodied dolls and you would put them on a, on a play set and, and pump the air and it would make activities happen. And it was interesting. Okay. So I did the sculpture for that. And then I, when I went in to deliver my Huff and Puff dolls, they said, hey, we're, we've got this new license we're going to be working on. Do you want to? do some action figures and I you know I'm a good art department whore I say yeah whatever you want right yeah so they said they said it's the Ninja Turtles and I was very familiar with the underground comic books I was always a big collector of that 
you know, Zap Comics at all. And the Ninja Turtles had a big presence in the underground comic book world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of a satirical kind of a comic book, black and white, kind of primitively drawn, if I can say that. Don't anybody get mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was kind of tough drawings. I didn't see how it was going to uh, relate to a toy line. I didn't get that at all. Mm-hmm. But I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I said, but let me do the bad guys because they look a lot more, a lot more interesting than the Ninja Turtles. They all look the same, mm-hmm. you know, and they live in the sewers and they say Calabunga. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, let me do the bad guy. And they said, sure. So um, I think the first ones we did were the Foot Soldier and the Shredder and Casey Jones. And I did a study for the pig guy. I forget. No, for the rhino guy. Rocksteady? Rocksteady, yeah. And then they they took my study and they gave it to another sculptor and had him do the work. And then they gave me the bebop character, Mm -hmm. which I spent a lot of time on that piece. I was very proud of it. I like the way the the shoulders were hiding the joint and stuff with the... um, with the turtle shells on their shoulders and all that. Yeah. So that was fun. <clears throat> and then they said, okay, we're going to do a, a second year. And I'm like, wow, I'm amazed that it <laughs> went a second year. Yeah. You know? I had no idea it was going to be this international success brand, you know, that it is today. I do have to ask, because you sculpted the bad guys. Yeah. And um there is that story. There is a story that I've heard, but I would love to, for you to tell it. They might have told you that the the figures were too big. Oh, you're talking about the shredder and how he got uh, yeah crouched down. Yeah, well, <clears throat> in the comic books, I don't know how many people have read the comic books, but the shredder is this really tall, thin bad guy. Mm-hmm. He towers over everybody. He's really big, uh, and the foot soldiers were pretty tall as well. So <clears throat> I did them. I was working with a fellow named. Mark Taylor, and he had come from Mattel, where he had designed uh, He-Man. Okay. And so they wanted to do the turtle line shaped the size of the He-Man characters, because that's the way marketing works. If somebody else is doing something successfully, you try and copy them, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, Varner Studios did the turtles, and they did them if you compare them to the He-Man, about the same size. Mm-hmm. So I did my my shredder towering over it the way I thought it should be. And then the marketing department came back and said, no, we want to use the same blister cards and hit the same price point as the turtles. So make the bad guy smaller. And me and Mark conspired. We said, well, no, we don't want to make the, the bad guy smaller. Then that's not a fair fight, you know? Yeah. So... I crouched him over to make him the right height and fit into the blister. So that's how he ended up in that strange pose. We did the same thing with the foot soldier. Yeah. Crouched him over. And, uh, you know, I kept expecting the phone to ring. No, 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 you can't do that. But they never complained. They said, yeah, sure, great. Do some more. So that's how that happened. Yeah. And so you sign on for the year number two. And you continue, what is, in year two, what are you sculpting mostly of? Oh, let's see, year two. 
I mean, it all kind of blends together. Yeah. <laughs> in my, my old man brain. So I remember pretty soon the bad guys took off into kind of fantasy world. I mean, they already were, but yeah. they started to get really, really strange. Um, and then we started just making a, a list of what animals we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So there was an elephant man and a giraffe man and a, a cat burglar guy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were done. <clears throat> they were selling them so fast mm-hmm. that pretty much anything we could do, they would sell. And some of the some of the things just came from a conversation on the phone. I mean, we weren't even doing turnaround drawings or anything at that point. We were just trying to do them as fast as we could. Um, they said, let's do a, a guy who's a who's a bat. And he has these little atrophied wings and they're big metal wings that are bolted onto the back of them. Uh, I said, sure, let's do that. Or let's do a, a pizza chef who has lost one leg and it's a pizza cutter and a pizza box. Yeah. Uh, that was wild. Most of the time we weren't naming them. I mean, I had a name for each one in the shop so that we wouldn't forget. Mm-hmm. But there was a character named Ray Filet and he <clears throat> he came out when the whole color change ink thing mm-hmm. started happening. Everybody was very excited about color change. I guess they don't use it anymore because I don't hear about it anymore. But they, um, he had a front section on his body that would change color when you hit it and put it in cold water. Um, and we named him Ray Filet and then they kept the name. So I always thought that was some, some cool. When you're um, designing, because at this, at this point, you're just cranking them out as quickly as you can. Are yeah. there any types of meetings outside of a phone call where they're saying yes to this one, no to that one, or is it just whatever you come up with they want? No, no, they were they were particular. I don't want to make it sound like I was bossing them around. <laughs> um, they knew I was happy to build whatever they asked for. Yeah, <clears throat> and they were in um, shoot, I forget where they were, but they were they weren't in Los Angeles. They were outside in a smaller town. I forget what it's called now. And at that time, I had to drive out there. At the time, you didn't uh, you didn't send JPEGs because there were no JPEGs, there mm-hmm. were no computers. Um, I had to drive out there and show them the waxes and stuff. And they would mostly <laughs> they didn't really have an art department. I mean, they had artists and staff doing packaging and stuff, but they didn't really have an art department. So I was mostly reviewed by the uh, the executive types, the the guys in the ties. Mm-hmm. And they would come out and just scratch their heads and look at me like, I don't know where you're getting this stuff, but, you know, let's sell it. Let's make it. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of one that they turned down. And there really wasn't any they turned down. We we did do them a couple times, mm-hmm. a couple different drawings to make them happy. Um, <clears throat> I do remember that after the fact, after the things were finished, I remember seeing my a lot of my characters showing up on that TV show they were doing. So that was kind of fun. I didn't get paid for that, but, you know, it was kind of <laughs> cool anyway. Yeah, and it seems crazy. Ninja Turtles was an interesting thing because it went reverse. It seemed like they were creating characters and just realizing, oh, maybe we should add these guys into the show. Yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. Well, they were, yeah, they were making the show as fast as possible. And of course, <clears throat> you remember, or you don't, you're too young to remember, but what they were doing was 
um, they were putting advertisements for the toys during the show. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the kids who were watching the Ninja Turtles show didn't have any defense at all. I mean, they would watch a watch an episode and then there would come a commercial for exactly that character, you know, and the kids would just die if they didn't have it. Mm -hmm. So they all rushed out to get it. And then they passed a law that said you couldn't do that anymore. You can't have an ad for a toy <clears throat> if the source material is the show you're putting the ad on for. Of course, Playmates figured that one out. They said, oh, well, we'll just have another show and put it on after this show and put the commercials there. So, you know, it worked anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point, <clears throat> we started doing um, vehicles for the figures. And the figures were kind of on the big side to start with. And we, we weren't thinking about vehicles when we were doing them. So some of them didn't sit down very well. Um, I remember the first uh, vehicle we did was a big Cadillac. Oh. For, for the, them to be in. And then they also bought some toys from Tommy. Coincidentally, I had nothing to do with it. But they bought some toys from Tommy and then repackaged them and recolored them and then sold them as Ninja Turtle. Like there was a, a disc thrower <clears throat> mm -hmm. and they made the disc thrower into a pizza thrower, which was pretty easy to do. Um, we interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait. Salvation! Hooray! We're saved, DLP2! Limited edition custom artist-made action figures and DKE Toys! Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE! There were a number of other things that they bought from other companies and then repackaged them. But at, at some point back then, uh, if it was green, and it had a grimace and a mask on it. You could call a turtle and sell it. Um, and they would sell it like nuts, like crazy. I remember going into Toys R Us. This was a big toy company back then, a big toy store back yeah. then. Um, <clears throat> and they had four or five, no exaggeration, four or five aisles of nothing but action figures. <clears throat> and I remember standing by the checkout line and looking out and seeing pretty much every kid in line had a Ninja Turtle in his hands to buy. I mean, yikes. If that's uh, nationwide, they're really making some money that back then. Incredible. And lucky for me, the company, Playmates, was owned by this Chinese group. Mm -hmm. And they were very superstitious. So they had a success with some of the things that I had done and Steve Varner had done. So they said, okay, you have to use the same sculptors for these from now on. So yay. Yeah. Um, yay. So I just kept on doing that for a while. And then they decided to do uh, some other action figure lines. Uh, Toxic Crusader. Mm -hmm. Did a bunch of those. Um, and, of course, Star Trek. Yeah. And that became another staple. So as you, like, with the success that you had in just Ninja Turtles before you moved on to the other ones, yeah. Um, and they and this company said, okay, you need to use him. You need to use Scott. He's the guy. Did you get to renegotiate like, oh, I'm now desired. I'm now wanted. No. Oh, okay. I mean, I just, I told them 
I mean, I gave them a price for each figure. We mm-hmm. started out uh, working on them as an hourly thing, mm-hmm. how long it take you to do, which is fair. But sometimes they would change their minds a lot and I would have to redo it a lot. And then I would have to keep track of the hours and stuff. And that was just too annoying. So we came up with a, uh, a piecework uh, dollar amount for each figure. And there was a figure. And then there was, usually there was a little buddy that we did for the uh, for the turtles, or the bad guys anyway. Um, and then some sort of weapon, you know, accessories or something. But no, I wasn't really renegotiating anything. I was just happy to be working. Yeah. I mean, remember, I had been a freelancer, starving to death for a while, doing nothing. And then when we started doing turtles, <clears throat> I was doing all of the steps, through doing the sculpture and the molding and the casting and even the painting sometimes. I'm a horrible painter, but I was doing it sometimes. And then um, at some point, I realized if I could get somebody else to do the molding and casting, I could keep sculpting and I could make money faster. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I went down to the San Diego Comic Con where I you know, went around and talked to as many people as I could and I ran into some some good illustrators. And I told them if they come work for me, I'll teach them to sculpt and, and then we'll be off and running. So I ended up with about six people, sculptors, molders, casters, painters. Um, so we could really crank them out at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I got involved with the Happy Meal programs. So, which was a better gig because the toy world, their cycle was from toy fair to toy fair. Okay. So to, which is in February, January, February. So, um, we would uh, crank really hard during the the fall and the winter to get everything done for Toy Fair, and then and then it would be just nothing happening at all after Toy Fair until the toy companies were trying to decide what they wanted to do for the next year. Yeah. But the Happy Meals, these things, I would get a new assignment before I finished the old assignment because they needed them that fast. Mm-hmm. Plus, um. At that time, McDonald's was in bed with Disney. And Disney would release a movie and we would do an, a, a, a Happy Meal program based on that movie. And then they all had to hit the stores, the restaurants, um, on the same day, nationwide. And that, had, that day had to be the day that the movie broke, movie started mm-hmm. out. So, I mean, consider the logistics there. There's a bazillion McDonald's over the nation. And we had to get things to Hong Kong, get things manufactured, get them shipped back here and get them just dis- distributed to all the different toys. So they all, I mean, the toy companies, so they all opened at the same time. The logistical was a crazy nightmare. Yeah. <clears throat> and they would often, uh, they would often change their minds halfway through. So I would have to do it again. Yeah. Were you, were you able to work with multiple companies at the same time? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I had lots of uh, clients. We were doing, uh, <clears throat> at one time we were doing street sharks and uh, extreme dinosaurs for Mattel. Yep. Also doing Toy Story and uh, Judge Dredd. They never, they never sold any of the Judge Dredd toys, but we did a lot of them. And there was a Phantom toy line. Anyway, a lot of things for Mattel. Uh, yeah. And then there was Galoo, which mm-hmm. is gone now. But I did a lot of girls toys for them and then we started doing Ultraverse, so a lot of action figures for them. Uh, 
let's see, there was Matchbox, did a lot of figures for Matchbox. Um, and then uh, it was a company called Creata, where we were doing toys to go into the Kellogg's boxes, mm-hmm. which always got a big charge out of, I don't know why. I mean, it was fun to see my stuff at Toys R Us, but I don't know, buying crispy, uh, Rice Krispies and seeing my toy inside was a charge. Yeah. Uh, but no, a lot of, uh, a lot of, I remember can, counting them once. There were uh, 12 or 13 different companies I was working for. And then a 9-11, a 9-12, every company, every last one canceled their work. The phone just kept ringing, bing, 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 until by the end of that day, I had nothing to do. I mean, we were at war. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So I didn't really blame them, but yikes. So that was sad. Yeah, that is crazy that it shut down so immediately. So uh, you you finish... There's a big gap in between the 9/11 part and then uh, Turtles. So, as you as Turtles ends and starts to go down, can you are you a little fearful of what's to come next? Because you just had this huge boom. Are you fearful with the next work that you were going to? Oh well, I was and I am and I always will be fearful. Yeah. I'm an insecure artist, you know. Yeah, you're only as good as your last job. So, <clears throat> and at some point, I had to lay off all my people because I didn't have work yeah um I was in Southern California now I'm in Northern California I left LA I don't have to tell you why I left LA uh half a dozen families moved up here with me Mm -hmm. but believe it or not they all didn't want to come uh so I said okay well I'll keep the the shop in LA open and I'll open a new one here so for Mm -hmm. a while I had like 20 employees over the two shops and we were doing all kinds of stuff. And I was doing um, uh, giftware for a ceramics company called Lennox, mm-hmm. um, mostly Disney and Peanuts, maybe a little Warner Brothers. And then there were other companies. There were other sources for sculpture. There was a Warner Brothers, Warner Bro- yeah, the Warner Brothers Studio Store, where you could go in and buy different Wizard of Oz things and stuff. And that was fun. So yeah, the answer to your question is yeah, I was taking work from everybody I could take work from. Yeah. Um, Teleflora was another one. And then as you uh moved in to like uh into the like early 90s, maybe mid 90s, you create there's a cool part, you create street sharks, you start to sculpt those. I yeah. only have a couple pictures with toys when I was little, and it was street sharks and cowboys and moon mesa. So I, it's incredible to like I've talked to Joe Galliani about creating street sharks and so now I get to talk to you about sculpting them what is that like because that's along the lines of the weirdness of Ninja Turtles so do you just yeah. go right into that pretty easily pretty easily yeah <clears throat> I mean I had by this time I had a portfolio of, of a lot of different kinds of sculpture and uh and there was a lot of work and there weren't very many sculptors at the time, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. Um, I liked being one of only a few. And Mattel was a different, it was different working for them than anybody else because Mattel was kind of a, there was a, there was a committee that you would have to deal with. It was not just the designer, it would be everybody. So I remember going in, uh, see, I was doing some, some work for the, I guess it was the Hot Wheels group. We did some cars. 
It had basketball players. They're like hot rods mm -hmm. uh, driving them. And um, at that at that uh, meeting, there would be the designer, and then there'd be a couple of people from Boys Toys, and then a couple of people from Hot Wheels, and then a couple of people from licensing because the licensing they were you know I was doing a likeness of the characters, so you had to keep everybody happy, which wasn't so easy. Yeah, and working for Playmates, it was usually just me and a couple of guys from the from the marketing department doing the work. So it was different. Um, I forgot what your question was. Uh, I think the seamless flow, was it easy just to go right into it and keep going? Because you are you have such a style, like even in some of the toys that are coming out now that I've seen of like Dollar Slice or John Pryor. Um, I worked uh, for both of those guys. Yeah. And uh, nine to five warriors. I've seen those toys come out and it just, they all remind me of the work that I've played with as a kid and the work that I see. And so I think like, was there a time in your sculpting career when you realized like, I think this is going to be where I'm headed, this style, like, or is it just whatever people wanted? That's just what happened. Yeah. Well, my, I always figured my job was kind of to channel the client and yeah. give them back what they want. I mean, they never want what I want to do. They want to do what they're thinking. Yeah. And, um, and that suits me fine. The more input I get from them, the, the better the piece will come out, really. Um, like I say, when I was working the, doing the, the dinosaurs and the street sharks for Mattel, they would, they would give me view drawings. You know, this, the front side, back, top, everything was measured out. Um, and with parameters like that, it's, you do a better job, mm -hmm. you know. Um, these days, like the fellows you mentioned, uh, they're, they're much more enthusiastic about the work than the toy companies ever were. I mean, because this is something that they've been thinking about for a long time. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> with John, for example, he just gives me one view and he says, go and, go and do, you know, you can fill in the blanks, which I like. I like that just fine. But then other people will give me around view drawings and parameters. You know, you get things done faster that way. So, so I like both. I brought some uh, stuff. Oh yes, please. This is. I don't know how well you'll be able to see these, but this is a, a robot guy that I did for John. He has already shown it, so I'm not giving anything away. Oh great! Is this the Slaughterbot? This is the Slaughterbot, yeah. Nice. The um, <clears throat> you have to be very careful when you're doing work for people because if it's a pri pri proprietary project, mm -hmm. generally they don't want you to show it to anybody until they are ready. Yeah. So I try and stay within that to keep everybody happy and to keep my livelihood going. Yeah. But like I said, he he showed that around. Um, a couple of years ago, I did, uh, it was, this is a Ninja Turtle Chewbacca mashup. Oh, I love that. So this is the part where he has the backpack with uh, uh, C-3PO on his back. So we did the tur a turtle C-3PO in a, yeah. in a, a little bag that he has. And then uh, I did a, an owl man. 
Uh, you can't really see the one non-painted ones, but uh, oh, they look great. Oh man, he doesn't have a big <clears throat> set of wings because because I did in, in, in production he had a big set. Let's see, <clears throat> it's a big Squidward. Are, okay, so I'm glad that you brought a Squidward out. So, are you still working? Are you, like when you get commissions and uh, freelance work, are you still working with companies that like new toy companies as they come out? Those are beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Uh, these were these were uh, uh, pool toys. So okay, you get those big noodles and then you stick it on the end, and oh, I don't yeah, know yeah. what you do with it, then swing it around again. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but your question was about new toy companies versus yeah. old toy companies. Yeah, are they reaching out? Are they the same? How does that work for you? Well, the uh, the big toy companies, Mattel, Hasbro, even Playmates, they don't use freelancers. I mean, they don't use freehanders anymore. Okay, it's all digital now, and uh, and it's easier for them because let's uh, see, why is it easy for them? It's easier for them because they can make changes to something right up until the last minute. Yeah. And they love doing that because they can never make up their minds. Um, but also when they're all done, uh, when it's all signed up, you can just email that to your tool maker in Hong Kong or wherever you're going and you're done. Um, so that's what they're set up to do. I mean, they pretty much told me, Scott, we love you, but we don't, unless you're gonna learn digital sculpture, we don't have anything for you anymore. So that was that. So I end up working for smaller startup companies who mm -hmm. um, still want to use free uh, freehand sculptors. So, can I ask you uh, maybe a more personal question about um, sculpting? Is there a reason that you didn't ever want to do digital, or didn't ever want to jump to that? Well, hmm. <clears throat> looking back on it, it probably wasn't a wise decision. Okay. But I decided I wanted to be a sculptor. That's what I wanted to be. Yeah. And I was never that interested in gadgets at all. Um, so when it came to the crossroads where it was time to buy the special equipment and learn how to use it or just stick with freelance, I thought, well, I mean, you stick with freehand. <clears throat> I said, I think I'll stick with it because it's just me. I don't have a big shop anymore, so I don't need to keep that much work going. So hopefully I'll just get enough freehand work just to keep myself busy and we'll go that way. And that's what I did. You know, a good friend of mine, Steve Varner, Varner Studios, mm -hmm. he, uh, he was always fascinated by gadgets of all kinds. Yeah. So as soon as this started happening, he started, he started showing it to me and brought out the, the free form stylus thing and the Rhino and all this different stuff. And every time I talked to him, he would say, Scott, come on over here. I'll teach you how to use this stuff and you can keep working. <laughs> and I would always say, no, thanks. Of course, now when I look back on it, maybe I should have. Although it just, it doesn't hold any appeal for me. Holding, yeah. Looking at the computer screen all day just doesn't do it for me. So, so yeah. yeah, so your answer is, it was a conscious decision and I like it that way. I watched a, a video of you talking to um, toy, toy maker, maybe. So it was a short video of you sculpting uh, a Charlie Brown head. You were working on a Charlie Brown head. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it was interesting because the way that you talked about it, 
it was almost like you described what you were doing almost like you have to hold it like you were making such a case that it needs to be in your hand you need to be able to do certain things and so that was like I love that aspect because I think you're right it, I don't want to stare at a screen all day I don't ever want to be that person so is there some part of you that like doesn't regret that at all like this is just where you're headed you just still love doing the the freehand yeah stuff. yeah well that describes it pretty well I I don't regret the decision good I, I'm a sculptor I like sculpting with clay and with wax and I love making molds and doing castings and all of that my friend Varner that I mentioned before he doesn't even have a mold room anymore <clears throat> he doesn't even make molds we interrupt this broadcast of toys on top to bring you this Earth aliens have landed Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, 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 They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys, They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. Toys, 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 toys. Hey, look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. He just does them digitally and prints them out, or he just sends out the, the software to somebody, and that's his whole job. Um, so I don't regret making that decision. Uh, I wish I had more work, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a problem, but no. And, um, you know, I'm told that I can go ahead and learn how to do it now, but it is a little bit on the late side. I mean, look at this white beard. You know? <laughs> I, I don't know how, how much I, time I could, I mean, I could probably learn how to push the buttons and stuff. Yeah. But <clears throat> you get to work because you have a nice portfolio, you know, I, my book is all full of freehand stuff. So, yeah. So I have a a question about your portfolio. At this point, do you just have a binder that's just full of all the work that you've done, or do you choose <laughs> like the best works that you love the most? I used to. I used to quite. Uh, I mean, I used to always make sure to take photographs of everything mm -hmm. and print them out and put them in the book. And I was always, I always thought to myself, someday you'll have a big book and, and you'll get every job you try to get because your book is so complete and everything. Yeah. I haven't shown the book in 15 years. Nobody wants to look at the portfolio. But it does exist. It does somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I even know where it is. <laughs> but I have the website. Okay. And that's what people would rather look at anyway, because they can yeah. do that on their own time, their own leisure, you know. So it's, uh, it's toysculpt.com. And there's lots of pictures down there. Yeah. And I, I love the, uh, there's something that's so, I don't know. Uh, there's something so amazing about possibly seeing a portfolio as a binder, which is like, oh yeah, I did this and this and this. Yeah. Um, I do have a question about sculpting. There was a, I saw like photos. I don't remember what the Triceratops uh, Ninja Turtle figure was. I don't remember his name, but I did see, figures that were like it was like they were exploded right you could see every aspect it was drawn out and there was like lines everywhere and it was the figure but it was like pulled apart so you could see all the details and everything did you ever get 
as you progressed in your sculpting, is that how they would give you the ideas at a certain point? Or did they always just say, start sculpting? No, generally there would just be an artist rendition okay. you know, of the character, like right out of a comic book. And I usually work from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they, they didn't, uh, they didn't think that far ahead mm -hmm. and they didn't really feel that it was their job. They thought it was my job to do yeah. those exploded views. And when we were all done back in the day, we used to do an exploded view like you're describing mm -hmm. and put in the colors. That's where we would tell them what colors go where on that. That was another thing It was, you know, part of our job that I don't do anymore. Mm -hmm. Here's a guy I did. This was Mickey Mouse as Mickey Uncle Mouse. Sam. And he, you know, he comes apart because he's a casting. So did you, you were basically working for Disney, working for McDonald's, some of the biggest heavy hitters with all those toys. Yeah. What is the difference in working with comp like toy companies and then working with corporations like McDonald's and Disney? What's that like? Well, <clears throat> I was never working directly for McDonald's and I was never working directly for Disney. They were always the licensor that were art directing me. Mm -hmm. But I'd usually be working for a manufacturing company of one kind or another. And I was working for McDonald's. I was working for the ad agency that would <clears throat> that would be hired by McDonald's to produce the toys. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> at the end there, nobody at McDonald's or um, the marketing department, it's called Simon Marketing, um, they didn't care anything about what I was doing. They just wanted to make sure it was done uh, by the deadline. Mm -hmm. The only people who really cared about the product at all would be the licensor. It would either be Nickelodeon or Disney or somebody else like that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> as opposed to now, now when I'm working for a, you know, a Corral or somebody who has their own characters, you know, and they're also doing the hiring, it's kind of like the middleman is all out of the way. And now I'm just working for the guy who really cares about it. Yeah. Which is usually okay, usually good. Sometimes people can't, if they're not used to art directing, they they don't know how to do it. In other words, um, if I was working for, let's say, something that was from Nickelodeon, uh, they might look at it and say, yeah, it looks good. You know, they're not insecure. They don't feel they need to make a change just to make a change. But other people will do that. They will say, well, I guess, uh, you know, and I'll say, you, don't, you can just like it the way it is. You don't have to change it. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll say, oh, no, make his hands bigger and his shoes smaller or something stupid, you know. So yeah. that's just going to take extra time and, um, you know, and it always looked better before type thing, you know? Yeah. So when you, as you've got to this point in your life and people like toy artists like myself, or they, we've started reaching out and you've started sculpting for much smaller, like not corporations anymore, nothing like that. Right. What, when that first started happening, were you all on board for that because it was just another job or did you have a hesitation in working with smaller artists? No, in fact, I always pursued working with smaller companies as smaller artists just because I like to have a, <clears throat> a well-rounded portfolio. <clears throat> yeah. The uh, Lennox work, for example, was always kind of a, a vanity uh, company that I worked for because I started when I was doing those um, 
as garden statuary, half mm -hmm. of the work would be uh, for ceramic ware. So I kind of wanted to keep my chops up for doing ceramic people uh, projects. So um, so I would go and try and find them. Like I say, Teleflora was a company that they're still around. They sell flowers, and we I would do different pots for them. Different, you know, usually Disney themed ceramic ware. There was a whole section of time just before I started working at Tomi where I was working for a place called Bernie Carp. I don't know why I remember that, but mm -hmm. they did bongs and pipes. Okay. And this was back when bongs and pipes were federal, you know, you can't do that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. But that was fun. <clears throat> did dragons and wizards and half naked women. <laughs> that was fun. I mean, you don't get a chance to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, when you stand now where you are in your career and you look back over 35 years of sculpting and 35 years of working with some bad, some good clients, all those things all thrown in together, what is one highlight that pops out at you? And that's a tough one. Well, that is a tough one because, you know, I love all my children. Yeah. After I finish them. <laughs> I love them all. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> one highlight that does stick out, and it's it's not an action figure line, but I did I did a bunch of Barbies for uh, Happy Meals. Here's a couple of painted samples. Oh, okay. Awesome. Those are hand painted samples. Anyway, they were Happy Meals for the McDonald's people, and I thought to myself, Oh man, I'm going to do Barbies and Happy Meals. I mean, I'm going to be on the top of the list now. That's the cream of the crop. Yeah. Here I go. Didn't work out that way. See, I don't sign anything. Nobody knows who I am. Mm -hmm. So so the Barbies were fun. It was weird because when I was working on the Barbie Happy Meals, Mattel was the licensing group. They came in and critiqued my sculpture work mm -hmm. to keep themselves happy so that they would sign it off so that McDonald's people could produce them. Um, then like two days later, I'd go over and I'd be a freelancer working for Mattel. So I would be wearing, be wearing these two hats and stuff. It started getting a little complicated. Um, but yeah, Simon Marketing. You ever hear the term Simon Marketing? No, which is weird. Like, it seems like it was huge for you and I've never heard of it. It was term. huge. Yeah. There, McDonald's had three or four uh, ad agencies working for them, but it was primarily Simon Marketing and a place called the Marketing Store. Uh -huh. And they would compete to see who would get to produce the, the Happy Meals. So <clears throat> I would do the sculpture for Simon's and then they would get it approved and then I would go off and do it. Point is, Simon Marketing, um, they got fired from... McDonald's for they also did the scratch and uh, the scratch jackpot monopoly games. Oh, okay. the other thing it did for McDonald's and and somebody at Simon's was busted stealing the winning tickets. The so McDonald's <laughs> fired Simon the marketing, which you know was a shame because I went I was working for Simon's, so poof that that job went away. Yeah, and that really hurt. That really hurt. So all the McDonald's work went away, and then. Two or three weeks later was 9-11. Mm -hmm. And then all the manu toy manufacturers went away. 
So yeah, we ups and downs. Yeah, we didn't ever make our rounds back to that. I'm glad you brought that back up. So 9-11 happened. So 9-12, all manufacturing work has stopped. You have, yeah, yeah, all your things. Uh, Panic has got to set in because that's (sighs) all the jobs are now gone. How did you pick back up? How did you get back into freelance work with these companies? Like how long did it take? I never did. Simon um, went away. Yeah. And. I kept I kept the group together because I thought, oh well, they're okay. Simon's gone, but they're going to need their happy meals from somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep the group together so that we can, you know, get the work from whoever it is is going to have it next. So I spent any money that I had saved up uh, uh, paying my people, so they didn't have a break in the action. Everybody kept working, and I would come up with busy work mostly, you know, my own ideas, my own toy ideas and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it never did come back. I ended up um, just kind of biding my time. Lennox came back because we were doing the, the, the designs statewide, stateside, but everybody else just, they had all these, all the toy companies wanted to have the manufacturing done in China and the designing done in China. Yeah. When I say China, I don't, you know, different places in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took that, they, everybody kind of took a break for six months. And then when they, when the work started coming back, they started doing the sculpture in, in Hong Kong. I mean, they weren't very good at it, but they got better and better. And now they're real good at it. Yeah. Um, so, so that was sad. You've said two things that are heartbreaking to me that I, it's hard for me to understand. Uh, One, you said that no one knows who you are, but you are the sculptor of some of the greatest toy lines to have existed. Well, there it is. Spread that around, man. So it's like that, that part is so heartbreaking. I I, look why I think why it's heartbreaking for me. Um, I don't know if you've heard the name Tyler Ham. He operates under culture pop toys. Sure. He um, sculpts for Mego, and on the back of the boxes, Mego will put sculptor Tyler Ham. But I don't remember that being on any of the action figures or anything like that. And so yeah. it is like the biggest blunder of the world for them that they didn't give you the acknowledgement that needed to be given. Well, thank you for saying so. Um, of course, I was just happy to be making a living. You know? Yeah. I just wanted to check with my name on it. Um, I don't know. I never pressed for that. Uh, I know other people that got, you know, the marketing company would say, okay, that's a good way to promote the work. We'll sign it. I remember Varner doing some metal Marvel figures and they mm-hmm. put his name on the box on the back. Uh, yeah, it was never that important to me. So I didn't pursue it. So, you know, you don't get it if you don't ask for it. Yeah. I did go about three years ago, maybe three years ago. I went to Mexico, Mexico City, mm-hmm. and they had something called an unboxing convention. Wow. In Mexico City. Yeah. And they paid my way and everything. It was really cool. I was a celebrity for a day. You know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but they did this big poster of a figure that I did for the turtles called uh, Casey Jones. Okay. Remember Casey Jones? He had a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anyway, they did this big poster and they put it behind the table I was sitting at. And people were coming in with the figure because apparently they had used it in advertising. Mm-hmm. And they were having me sign the figure. Oh which my gosh. Was interesting because, you know, not a lot of places on a figure to sign, yeah. but I was faking it. And then everybody wanted a picture. And that was fun. But I had brought one of those portfolio books I was talking about. And everybody's looking through them and saying, wow, you did this. Wow, you did that. And then they were going home and getting more figures and coming back and getting back in line for me to sign them again. Yeah. So celebrity for a day. When I got to do a a panel where they asked me, you know, questions about sculpture. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny because at some point in the past, people didn't even know sculptors existed. I mean, I don't know where they thought this work was coming from. Yeah. They were planting seeds and growing in Ninja Turtle or something. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. That was fun. Well, it lasted, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that my celebrity would get me some work. If anybody yeah. in your audience has some sculpture to do, yeah, call me up. I, I think the second thing that got me that was kind of the sad thing is after the 9-11 thing, it just didn't come back as like as big as it was. And that is so crazy like toys didn't die out i mean game systems were happening but toys still occurred and so it's crazy that it just kind of flatlined a little bit there oh a lot but remember that was right when video games were getting really really popular yeah you don't need a sculptor for a video game yeah so there was that um so there yeah and action figures just weren't that popular I mean, yeah. it went from four or five aisles, like I mentioned before, to one aisle. And then yeah. and then on the, the half of them were digitally produced. I always thought that since when the digital revolution came, mm-hmm. a lot of the marketing, de- marketing departments and even art departments went out and bought all the equipment. But there weren't any artists to run the equipment. So they had to have engineers. And I love engineers, but they had to have them running the equipment. So the work didn't look that great. And then they had all this expensive equipment and they had to use it. They had to find a way to use it. They couldn't just dump it all and go back to freehanders again. Yeah. So, so there was a whole learning curve there. Now there are people who, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, the folks that I'm working for recently, they prefer freehand stuff. And they tell me they want it to look like you know, it was right out of the Ninja Turtle line or something, which is easy because that's what comes out of me naturally. Yeah. You know? um, I love to do monsters and women and, um, you know, square-jawed good guys and put in a lot of little details and stuff. So. Man. So as you have gotten to this point and you're taking the commissions and all of those things, where for you as an incredible sculptor, are you, do you plan on staying in freelance work until, until it, until you're done doing sculpting, I guess? Yeah. Until I don't breathe anymore. I expect to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm hoping to be contacted by a few other toy groups. I have a lot of promises. Yeah. A lot of people promise work. So, you know, we'll see how that's going. And it kind of isn't negotiable now. I mean, I've done it so much that I, you know, I have to make X, Y, Z amount of money just to make, just to do it. And just, um, 
negotiate things away anymore. And I can't, um, uh, I can't give anybody volume yeah. uh, discounts because you, it's a linear thing. You got to start at the beginning and go to the end. And I don't, I, I have one assistant right now, but because of COVID, of course, he has to work at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's okay. And I have a painter that does the painting work because I don't paint. I just, I'm terrible. Yeah. I always say I do shapes. I don't do colors. Okay. Uh, but I used to have a couple of people on staff that were, doing, you know, just very talented painters. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know the type, somebody who can match a color, eyeball match a color out of the PMS book. Yeah. yeah. I've never been more jealous in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember we used to have staff meetings back in the, when I had staff. Mm -hmm. And we'd be talking about this and then the other thing. And then I would say, well, don't you think the piece needs a little more green? And everybody would just turn and look at me like, did you just make a color suggestion? <laughs> no, I would recede into the, into the shadows there. Yeah, that wasn't me. As a uh, final uh, question, and then we'll have you plug everything and do all that stuff too. But um, when you, you look over your life as in sculpting and working at these toy companies, how many of these of those relationships that you built and made were lasting until now? Was it all just work, 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 or did you like build friendships in there and you were you could now contact them and talk about sculpting and all that stuff? Well, yeah, I've made some good friends over the over the time. Some people who I hired as sculptors became really good friends. I had this one friend who was from Peru. His name was uh afredo osorio mm -hmm. and he was a really really good sculptor but he had no discipline at all yeah i would tell him uh alfredo i need a i need a basketball player i need him to be six inches tall and he would bring me a beautiful beautiful piece 10 inches tall <laughs> i would say well i don't have anybody who wants to buy this man yeah but we became very good friends i just don't give him any sculpture work anymore yeah um i became good friends with there's a company called Insect Lore, and okay. they sell insect stuff, mm -hmm. you know, educational insects and uh, life cycles and plastic and stuff. And I became really good friends with, with the owner of that company. They're out in Shafter, California. But, uh, you know, I don't get any work from them anymore. Mm -hmm. I like to think I was friends with the guys at Playmate. But, you know, when the work went away, and I, I don't talk to them anymore. And, they don't talk to me. There's Carl Aronian and a few other guys at Playmate. And then um, at Mattel, there were some folks that I knew well. But Mattel is kind of a, uh, it, they kind of let people go and then they bring them back in and they let them go and they bring them back in. It's kind yeah. of, uh, they bring you in and they suck out all your uh, enthusiasm and then they let you go again. But I've had, I have some friends that, I know from there, yeah. um, but we're all getting old now. Mark Taylor, like I mentioned before, he died and that was sad, but you know, I guess we all gotta go. I would say yes, without really being able to list them. Yeah. Uh, that's some good friends. Yeah. So we, as we close out this podcast, please share every place that we can find you, websites and Instagrams and anything that you have that you wanna share. And even any upcoming projects that you're allowed to talk about, maybe like share all of that. This is all about well, you. Okay. Uh, pretty easy to find me since I have the website. Mm -hmm. uh, 
toysculpt.com. And then my email is scott at toysculpt.com. And I'm on Instagram, uh, which is Scott T. Henzy. So it's S-C-O-T-T-T-H-E-N-S-E-Y at Instagram. I started the Instagram account because I wanted to get a few pieces out there and then start to sell them. I'm trying to sell these pieces. Um, the problem is everybody has some specific thing that they want. You know? yeah. And you can probably tell I've done so many different things that it's hard to really put my finger on one or another thing that I want to make available. Um, plus, you know, the turtle stuff is all gone because that was a big deal. Yeah. And then I met this one fellow who is a big shot at one of the uh, comic book movie making companies. Mm -hmm. And he decided he wanted all my Star Trek stuff. And I had I had like 80 different pieces. I always saved the waxes. And then I would usually have hard copies made by my group so that I could have a display piece or here and there. Mm -hmm. So that's why there. Um, what else? I brought a few more pieces. For a while, I was working for a place called uh, Playing oh, Mantis. Yeah. And this this is a, a, a painted sample from uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer line. It's flocked. I know you can't tell, but it's fuzzy. And the battery's dead. Nose used to light up. Um, we did probably three or four years of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm -hmm. We did every character in that movie, every last one. And we did them small, medium, and big, and really big. Uh, it was crazy. It was like there was perpetual Christmas in my shop. Yeah. And if anybody started doing the We Are Santa's Elms song, you know, <laughs> they would get smacked because it would be a real earworm that nobody could ever forget. Yeah. Um, these were the kind of things I was doing for Lennox. Okay. Is, uh, or Mickey uh, Mouse. Uh, Christmas ornaments. Yeah. You know. And then I was used to do work for like the Warner Brothers Studio store. Yeah. So did a lot of different Tasmanian devils. I always liked this one the best. We did clocks for uh, West Clocks. Did a Darth Vader telephone. I didn't do too much Star Wars stuff because you know, that was mostly Kenner and Hasbro and they're East Coast. So even though uh, Lucasfilm was right down the road from me, I didn't yeah. do too much. Did a little bit. I got to go to the Victorian and meet some of the people. Yeah. And I want to make sure I heard you correctly. All the things that you've been posting on your Instagram are for sale? Well, no, not all of them. Okay. Because, because uh, I don't even have most of them. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Um, so when I start putting stuff up to sell, I'll put a, you know, this is for sale mm, thing on it because, uh, you know, obviously most of the stuff is gone. Yeah. Scott, it has been an honor to talk to you, to talk to the person that sculpted the toys that shaped me as a kid. And I, uh, I can't thank you enough for giving me your time. Well, thank you for saying so. It's been fun to talk to you.
Sue from Toys on Tap. Toys on Tap. The next episode. The next episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.